But today, hey, we are in, uh, we're wrapping up a series called The Five Solas, and today is the fifth one. And what these are is these come out of the teachings of the Reformation. The Reformation happened 500 years ago this month, or really kicked off, I should say, uh, by most accounts, 500 years ago this week, even on Tuesday, when Martin Luther nailed 95 theses to the door of the Wittenberg Castle Church and challenged the authority of the church with the authority of God's word. And uh, these five solas, you're not going to find them maybe mentioned by any of the reformers, but you will find them mentioned by church historians and theologians up to 100, 150 years ago as they began to study these things and recognize these five uh, constant themes come up over and over and over among the reformers in their writings. And we've worked through them all. We, we talked about sola Christus, Christ alone, that he alone is the basis and uh, authority of our salvation. He's the only one who's able to save and who has saved us. Amen? Amen. And uh, not only Christ alone, but then sola scriptura, scripture alone. Uh, our, our sole basis for authority in the church and for Christian life is God's word. It's not a, a church. It's not a pastor. It's not a person. It's not a tradition. It's not a family member. It's God's word. Amen? That, that's, if, if it's not written and doesn't abide with God's word, then um, we should have some big problems with it. Uh, then we talked about sola gratia, that the only way that you're saved is through Jesus, but it's all by his grace to you. You don't pay him for what he did on the cross. You don't offer indulgences. You don't offer sacrifices. You simply believe. It's all a gift of his grace. Sola giftus would be another way to say that, right? In my slang Latin. It's just solely a gift. It's totally grace and grace alone. And then last week we saw that the way we receive that gift is solely by faith, sola fide, by faith alone. And when we get to this fifth one, soli deo gloria, to God alone be the glory, really what's happening here is this is um, a summary of all and the culmination of all the other solas. Because it's implicit within all the other ones. When it's Christ alone, it's he alone gets the glory. When it's scripture alone, God alone has authority. He alone gets the glory. When it's grace alone, it has nothing to do with me. It's all a gift. God alone gets credit and the glory. When it's faith alone, again, all it is is me believing. It's none of my works in the equation. It's him alone getting the glory. Amen? And so we're going to dive into that a little bit today. And the way we're going to do that is we're going to look at uh, the end of a short letter uh, called Jude that uh, Pastor Dan and Pastor Kirk preached to you this summer. And we're going to look strictly just at the benediction, at the closing two lines. Now, this benediction, these two verses in, in Jude, verses 24 and 25, uh, really aren't uh, the ones that sparked any kind of uh, thought among the reformers or anything else, but it it just sums up all of this so well. And we could have picked benedictions from the book of Romans or Ephesians or other places as well, but we chose Jude today. So let me read the text, then I'm going to pray, and then we're going to unpack it a little bit here together and talk about God alone getting glory. Let's read together. Jude writes this. At the end of his letter, he says, Now to him... 
talking about Jesus, who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Let me pray, and then let's unpack that a little bit in this theme this morning. Father, thank you for Jesus. And uh, just as we read uh, his younger brother Jude's words there, um, to give him all dominion and authority and majesty and glory forever and ever. Lord, might that be the heartbeat of of my life and of our church? And uh, would you uh, show us this morning ways that maybe we're seeking glory for ourselves? where we're not putting you at the center of all things in our life, but instead we're substituting ourselves or other people or our kids or our family. And Jesus, would would you return yourself in our lives to the rightful spot, right in the center, receiving all glory and all credit for all things? We love you. I pray against the enemy who uh, fell because of his pride trying to steal your glory. He would love to see us do the same. So I pray against him, his servants, their works and effects. And instead, Holy Spirit, uh, um, capture our hearts with your majesty. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Jude has some pretty powerful words there, doesn't he? And what's really amazing to me about this passage and these two verses especially is the fact that Jude was Jesus' younger half-brother. They had the same mom, different dad. Jesus didn't have a biological dad, right? Uh, He was born of a virgin Mary, but uh, his adopted dad, Joseph, would have been Jude's uh, biological dad. And how many of you would say that about your older brother? I mean, I'm the oldest in my family, but I don't imagine any of my little brothers, I've got three little brothers, I don't imagine any of them saying, now to Josh, who is able to keep us from stumbling and to present us blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior and big brother, through Josh, be glory. Can you imagine anybody saying that about you? Are you ever saying that about an older sibling? It's incredible that Jesus' younger brother says this about him. To me, that speaks to the truth of the gospel. Who would make that up about your brother? If, and of Jesus' sinlessness and the truth of who he is. I mean, if, if anybody's going to see your faults, it's going to be your family, isn't it? Especially your siblings. And yet Jude comes to faith in Jesus Christ as not just his big brother, but his savior. Well, uh, the reason I bring that up is because I want to unpack kind of a sentence through this doxology with you. And the first thing I want to say, and for you to recognize, is that uh, our salvation is a three-tenths salvation. And Jesus has saved you, is saving you, and will save you. Did you get that? Think about that with me. Jesus has saved you. Jesus is saving you if you've trusted him in faith, and Jesus will save you. Past, present, future. In fact, uh, Jude, even in his doxology, talks about Jesus' glory and majesty and dominion and authority. He says, uh, before all time, past, and now, present, 
and forevermore future. Amen. And he talks about Jesus. He says, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. The one, in other words, who's saved, saving, and will save you. To him be glory now and forevermore, Jude tells us. Well, this is true throughout, uh, throughout Scripture. Paul writes about it in Ephesians chapter 2. He says, by the way, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. We've unpacked this verse, this passage already. In which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of body and mind. And we were by nature children of wrath, just like the rest of mankind, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that, see, it's not just he he saved us while we were dead, he raised us up. uh, and, And so that, look what it says, if you're looking with me in Ephesians 2, so that in the coming ages, He might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Not only has God, Jesus saved us, but he he will present us perfect before the Father. He will save us in the future. And as as Paul goes on writing, he says, for by grace you've been saved by faith. It's not of your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one can boast. For you... uh, we, you are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works today. Paul has this whole thing as well, like past, present, future. Now, why is this important for you to understand as we get going this morning? To him who is able to keep you, to him who will present you blameless on the last day, Jude writes, to him be glory, because here's the deal. Sadly, there are actually some churches who are arguing over this. Eh, yeah, Jesus died for my sins in the past, and um, up to the point that I confessed him. Uh, but I'm not so sure that it talks about him saving me from my future sins. Do you see where that result, what that results in? That means then uh, five minutes from now when I sin, because we're all sinful, if it's not five minutes, it'll be a half hour. It's coming, you're gonna sin, right? Then that means if I, if I somehow miss one and forget to confess it, Um, guess what I'm not saved from? That sin. And I'm always living in fear that it's never enough. And if Jesus only saved me from my present and past sins, but not future, I have no assurance. I have no real joy. Did you you see uh, what Jude wrote? Look what he writes. He says, "Now, now to him who's able to keep you from stumbling and present you blameless before the presence of his glory. How? With what? Somebody say it. With great joy. I don't know about you, but if I'm always fearful that, uh, that tomorrow I might sin in a way that uh, negates my salvation, that's not joy. <laughs> that's terror. Is that just me? And what that is then is it becomes a works-based salvation that I have to do enough to earn God's favor. And it's all on me if I, if I forget to confess this or I forget to do that. And it, no, no, no. Soli Deo Gloria. To God alone be the glory. To God alone be the credit. 
So when Jesus dies and pays the penalty for sin and he, he takes the punch of God's wrath and he's the atonement, he's my propiti- God's propitiation for my sin. And when he redeems me and sets me free, listen, he did it all. Past, present, future. He did it all. That's a, now, now listen, here's the truth. In one sense, that can be a really scary thing to look and say, you know, if we think it's only present and past. But the other thing, sometimes we kind of choose to believe that because we feel like, well, yeah, but I've got to do something. I've got to get it right somehow. No, 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 no. You need to believe in Jesus Christ. And he makes you new. And he is the one who works through you to make you right with him and to, to give you a holy life. Now, now is there... Is there struggle in that for you? Yes. Is there struggle in that for me? Yes. But guess what? It's not dependent on me. Because if it's dependent on me, it's never going to happen. It's just, I keep my eyes on Jesus, and when I fall down, I get back up and look at him again. And I keep going forward. He is the only one who has the ability to save Paul, in his doxology of Romans, to the church in Rome, he said, now to him who is able to strengthen you, really him alone who's able to strengthen you, according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages. He's like uh, Paul writing just within a generation of Jesus' life on this earth, um, says this secret has been kept hidden for generations in the Old Testament. He's the one we were looking to in faith. He alone has the the ability to strengthen you to live a holy life, to to save you in the end. He alone gets the glory. I I love what Paul also says halfway through the book of Ephesians in chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all you could ever ask or imagine, to him alone, be the glory, right? Like, I don't, I don't know if he could save me from my future sin. I don't, I don't, I don't know what's, no, 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 no. Paul says, uh, to him who's able to do more than all you could ever ask or even imagine, he can save you from that. In fact, he has saved you and he will save you. Trust him. That, that's, what, that's really what Jude is saying here. He's saying, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and present you blameless before the presence of his glory, he's the only one who's able, now and forevermore. And, and the provision for that is Jesus Christ, right? He's the one who will present us blameless. He's the one who will present us without blemish, free from fault, clean. It's all because of Jesus. Listen, I don't know what you've done. I don't. I don't know what you think about. I don't know what's been done to you. But Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone is the sacrifice for your sin and for my sin. And he alone makes you clean forever. And after you trust him by faith, you're no longer in God's sight a sinner. You're a saint who still sins and still messes up. But one day, guess what Jesus is going to do? He will save you and totally make you new. And it'll all be done. 
So live from that identity, amen? Not what you've done or what's been done to you, but what Jesus has done for you. Um, Habakkuk wrote things like this, the Lord is my strength. Um, In Proverbs, the Lord by wisdom founded the earth, by understanding he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the depths broke open, the clouds dropped the dew. My son, don't lose sight of these. Keep your eyes on the Lord. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Well, uh, Jesus has saved, will, is saving, and will save you. And because of this, loved ones, he deserves exclusive glory in all things. He deserves exclusive glory in all things. Did you see again what Jude wrote? To, uh, to which God does it say? The only God. Our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be uh, all glory all majesty, all dominion and authority. For how long? Well, before all time and now and and forevermore. Throughout all time, Jesus gets exclusive glory. God gets exclusive glory and the Father delights to exalt his son. So it's right to say Jesus gets exclusive glory. He delights that Jesus would be exalted. You know, this is a call for us every day of our lives, isn't it? That uh, whatever you do, you do it. uh, Paul writes it both to the Corinthians and the Colossians that you would do it with all your might as unto the Lord. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it as unto who? The Lord for his glory, for his credit. Now here's the deal. One, One of the things about the Reformation that was incredible that came out of the Reformation that we can be very thankful for, that was re- revived, was this idea that uh, your, there is no distinction between uh, sacred and secular. That everything is sacred. You're like, you see, sometimes people look at, at me and my profession and they think, um, yeah, that's easy for you to say, Josh, you're a pastor. You're, you're, you know, you're like here and I'm here. And I just, all I do is I sweep floors for a living, or all I do is I, I put widgets together on the factory floor. All I do is I balance, uh, balance spreadsheets all day. All I, all I do is, um, no, 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 not all you do. There's no distinction between sacred and secular. It's just, what do you do? Yeah, but I'm just a stay-at-home mom. No, 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 that's a, that's a huge job. What is it that you do as your vocation, your calling, for, for some, like me, it's, it's, I, I do ministry as a vocation and really to hopefully equip you as I teach and as I study so that you can go and do the same in your life. But that doesn't make my job any more important than yours. God has sent you into specific places for specific purposes, for his glory. Whatever it is you do matters. Coming up in January, we're going to do about a six to seven week series on this very topic. And I'm really excited about it. Uh, that, that your work matters. Work as worship. And we're going to have an all day seminar on a Friday in February. And it's going to be like $25. I think the, we haven't published the site yet, but it's actually available to register already. It's going to be simulcast in. And we're going to be talking about this that your vocation 
matters before God. And the reason I say this was really rediscovered in uh, the Reformation is because the whole idea of being a priesthood of saints, uh, that, that all of us are priests, all of us have access to God, all of us serve him in whatever we do. And Luther had some good one-liners on this. He, he, he had said some things like this, like, uh, in order to clean a floor to the glory of the Lord, you don't have to whistle a hymn while you do it. Because God simply loves clean floors. That's reason enough. Whatever it is you do, whatever it is you find to do, do it with all your might as unto the Lord. And he gets great glory for that. Don't think that it doesn't matter. It matters in a big way. Because maybe your clean floor that you made keeps somebody from falling and cracking their hip. That's a great blessing, both to God and to others, isn't it? Maybe the little uh, widget you put together on the factory line Because of the the skill with which you put it together, it's not going to break down, and maybe it's going in a vehicle and it's going to save someone's life. I don't know. Uh, Maybe you're in the medical industry and you spend time uh, uh, balancing uh, uh, accounting spreadsheets or, or designing something, and have you ever thought all the way down the line all the good that that brings to other people through your efforts? whether it's something really small like assembling something or or something that's really deep on the engineering side or or simply on the accounting side, figuring out how we pay for this, all of that matters because of the good it brings somebody else, the common good of people, and it brings glory to Jesus Christ if you do it as unto the Lord. What is it that the Lord has called you to do? Do it with all your might in a way that honors the Lord and for his glory. See, what's curious then is in Samuel... Uh, in, the, in the book of 1 Samuel, and I thought I had it written down here, but uh, I evidently don't. I, I believe, I'm, gonna, I'm not gonna give you the right reference, so I'm not gonna try to guess it. But, but God's talking and he says, uh, make no mistake, to the one who honors me, I shall honor. Now, if you're doing it and you're just trying to climb the ladder and, and bring glory to yourself, okay, good, good luck, that ends very empty. But if you simply do a good job because God's given you the ability to do a good job and you find pleasure in doing a good job, um, honor him and whoever honors me, the Lord says, make no mistake, I delight to honor. So he deserves exclusive glory in all things in our worship. Worship is simply, partly it's singing, but really it's just expressing worth to Jesus Christ, right? How do you do that? You know, uh, speaking of this, one thing in terms of vocation, one of the best illustrations of this, you ever seen the movie Chariots of Fire? You ever hear of a guy named Eric Little? A missionary kid who won uh, gold and uh, won a few races on the same day. Go, go watch it. It's incredible because as he wraps up, it, it, like the quote plays over him as he's running, dun, 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 you know, all that's going and it, you hear him talking to Jenny, I believe, and he's like, Jenny, I don't know, but when I run, I feel the pleasure of God. What is it that you do? When you do it, you feel the pleasure of God. For me, sometimes uh, playing music, I feel the pleasure of God. Being, doing something creative, I just, I just, I love it. And I, whatever it is, do it to God's glory. Do you find the pleasure of God in balancing your checkbook? That's just not me, but praise the Lord for you. Right? Do it to the glory of God. What, what is it that you find 
you sense God's pleasure in as you do it. Do it with all your might as unto the Lord. See, in, in that movie too, there's another guy and I don't remember his name, but instead of running, Eric ran for God's glory and this other guy ran for himself and his glory. And you get to the end and it, it shows him after he won and uh, Little was, you know, everything was going great for him and he, he honored the Lord with it. This guy though, I, I should have wrote his name down and I don't remember, I thought I would. Uh, he takes, he's sitting there over his beer and he takes a drink and he's just depressed. And some guy comes in and he, he just doesn't know what to do with himself now that he's won. And, and somebody comes in and he's like, ah, just tell him you did it for you, for good old you. That's all, that's all anybody needs to know. You just, you did it for you. Whatever his name was, he calls him by name. And he just kind of stares into the camera and just takes another drink. And the whole point being, when, uh, when God isn't the one receiving glory, it ends in emptiness. Even if you get all the glory, it might feel good for a short while. But in the end, it ends incredibly empty. So worship him. Our worship belongs to him. He's the one, as I wrote here, who's the mediator. He's the one who who has saved you, enabled you, created you, enabled you to receive his grace, and uh, made you clean. So uh, Jude rightly focuses on giving all the glory, all the majesty, all the dominion, all the authority before time, now and forevermore, to Jesus. And that really leads us to the third part of our sentence. Jesus has saved, is saving, will save you, and deserves exclusive glory in all things forever and ever. Amen. That's the extent to which God deserves glory. At First Chronicles 29, verse 11, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory. It's just like he just can't quit. He doesn't know where to stop. Isn't that what it sounds like when he's writing this? Uh, to, to yours, O Lord, be the, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that's in the heavens and in the earth is yours, Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Paul speaks in Romans chapter 8 of the extent of God's love for you, and I think it carries over also in other places to the extent of his glory. When he talks about his love for you, that he's the one who, who will save you, that he's the one who somehow works out even the worst things in our lives for good in the end, he goes on to say, for nothing can separate us from the love of God, neither height nor depth nor width nor breadth. Nothing in all creation can separate you from his love. That's the extent of his love. That's the extent of his glory. It's the extent of who he is. And we see it in Jesus. We see it in his word. We see it in God's grace. We see it in our faith. And really all it ends with is our agreement. All of scripture, Revelation 22, verses 20 and 21. The end says, he who testifies to these things says, surely, talking about Jesus, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. See, it's not like you have to do something extra to give God glory. You simply have to agree that he gets all glory and change your motivation for why it is I do what I do so that he would be honored, not that I would be honored. To him alone be grace forevermore, amen. You ever, you ever see that word amen? Do you know what it means? It means yes, I agree. 
as I like to quote the kid from Sandlot, yeah, yeah, amen, amen. You ever wonder where that came from? It was when I was a youth pastor and I really liked the movie Sandlot and uh, we just started saying yeah, yeah when we agreed with stuff, right? And really it's just saying amen, amen, I agree, yeah, yeah. All it takes to live a life that, that gives God glory is simply agreeing that he's the one who's to be in the center. And as we close, maybe think of it like this. Um, God is to be the gravitational center of your life and of my life. You ever thought about how, um, maybe think about it this way, that your life was made to orbit. You were created to orbit around God. You know about orbit, right? Like uh, you have the sun in the center of our solar system and the planets orbit around it, right? They're in orbit around the sun. Why? Because, because of its gravity and it, it holds them in place in their track around the sun for year after year after century after millennium, just always in the hold of its gravitational force. And, and think of your life like this. Think of your life like this. And furthermore, I mean, you think about even the earth itself is rotating around its axis and its gravitational center. And if, think like if in any moment, any of those things quit, we're through the wall, one, if it quits spinning. We're gonna fly off out into space if we quit orbiting around the sun. And we're dead. We're done. It's over. Just forget it. God has set up your life and mine like this. That, that he would be the gravitational center of your life. Uh, in, in Lamentations chapter three, it talks about this. Jeremiah says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Uh, and one aspect of his glory is his love. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. You notice that they never cease. They never come to an end. The Lord is my portion, Jeremiah writes, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Uh, in a sense, kind of uh, love, uh, God's love is the, God is not only the gravitational center of your life, but his love is also what fuels your life. It's the gas your life runs on. My car runs on unleaded. Your, my, your soul and my soul run on God's love, Right? And uh, I go fill up my car at the gas station, but to fill up my soul, if I'm gonna be able to love other people and to love my wife and to love my son and to love any of you, uh, I have to first uh, love God so that his love would flow into me and be able to flow out to others. And unless he's the gravitational center around which my life orbits, that will never happen. Because what often happens is, instead of going to God for the, that source of, of strength and of love and him as the center of my life, uh, oftentimes, sometimes we'll put somebody else in the center. And psychologists call that codependency. The Bible calls it idolatry. And we look to them and they have a finite source of love and we don't get enough and, we, and then we just crash. Unless God is the gravitational center, we just, we quit orbiting. Unless God is the gravitational center around which we orbit, it's going to end horribly. Think about maybe some of the other things that we put in the center, the other things or other people that get glory instead of Jesus Christ. Sometimes it's a person. 
Sometimes in a family, it can be the controlling dad. And he's the one around which the entire family orbits. And we got to please dad and watch out for dad because he might get off. And uh, no, we can't go eat there because dad doesn't like that. And we can't watch that because that's not what dad would want to watch tonight. And don't sit in that chair because that's dad's chair. And everything rotates around him. Or maybe it's the super high control mom. Watch out for mom. Don't make her mad. You know, uh, stay on, you gotta just walk on eggshells around her. Don't say the wrong thing. She's like a grenade with the pin pulled. Watch out. Right? And you're going, going around her the whole time. Or, or sometimes it's the kids. And sometimes, you know, the child can figure out that, well, if I throw a tantrum or if I freak out now that I'm in the center, guess what happens? I get what I want because everything orbits around me. And in each of those cases, dad gets the glory, mom gets the glory, the kid gets the glory. When, when, when God says, no, I'm a jealous, a jealous God and I share my glory with no one, he's to be the gravitational center of our lives. That's what you were made for. He's the one who's to fuel your life so that you can actually love and care for other people or you're always gonna come up empty. See, um, so sometimes it's a person, sometimes, like I said, it's kids. I mean, you ever thought about what this does to children? If they're the center of that, if they're the gravitational hub of your family, inevitably, what are they gonna do? They're gonna fall short. And what are you gonna do? You're gonna be disappointed. And don't you know what I sacrificed for you? Don't you know what I did for you? Don't you know all that I gave up for you? I can't believe you've let me down in this way. And it crushes them. Or the other thing that happens is, I don't know if you've noticed, but at a certain point, the child moves away from home. <laughs> and he takes off to college, or, so, or she does. And then what happens? If they were the center, if they were the center, the, the gravitational center of the orbit of the family and of, of the parents and of their lives, what happens to mom and dad when they leave? They fly off into space. And everything comes crashing down. Sometimes it's not a person, like a parent or a child. Sometimes it's just, see, all these things are good things, aren't they? Sometimes it's family itself. Family can be the, the center that we orbit around. Don't cross the family, or whatever the line is, right, from the Godfather. And no, I, I, I can't make other plans for today because today's family day. And I can't, I can't move out of town because my family's too close. And I can't go to another church ever because uh, my family is here. And I, I can't, I can't, I can't cut family, 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 family. And what was a really good thing has now become an idol. Be very careful that God is the gravitational center of your life. Because any other one will crash. It will leave and you'll fly off into space and it'll be over. Now the tricky part of this is that every one of us have things that we like to stick in the center of that little universe. And repentance is changing our mind and putting Jesus back in the center. And sometimes that's a daily, hourly, minute to minute thing. But that's what it means for soli deo gloria, for God alone to get the glory. Amen? That illustration came um, 
from uh, one of the guys I was training with out in Seattle when I did my master's degree. So I can't, I'm not going to take any credit for that. But, but I just think it's such a great picture of, of how that works, isn't it? Let me pray. Then we're going to take our offering. We're going to sing. Then we're going to commission our India team and call it a morning. Yeah, yeah? Let me pray. Father, thanks for Jesus. And thanks for your grace to us through him. Lord, we love you. Um, Jesus, you know that I fail all the time at keeping you at the center of my life and uh, the, the one whom I orbit around. It gets replaced by so many things, often myself. Um, Holy Spirit, would you help me to, to do this well, to always turn back, Jesus, to you, that you would be the center. I pray this for our church, that we would as well. We have it written in our core values that it's all about Jesus and we have it written that there's no sacred cows, that nothing else gets put in the center yet. So often, there's a lot of things that do. So we repent of those things. And Jesus, we turn to you and trust you and you alone and give you glory alone. Be the center of our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.